So hello and uh, welcome to episode 10 of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm Paul here with Pete. So hello indeed, yes. Uh, episode 10 finally getting itself in gear after numerous delays. Um, although you will have noticed that we threw out a uh, extended discussion. You would have noticed that except I haven't put it online yet. By the time this goes out I'm sure you will have done and many, many a person will be enjoying our quite, yeah, quite long form discussion. It's quite on a it. long chat on uh, the latest Christopher Nolan release Interstellar so we've sort done a special on that so we won't, we won't be talking about that today. Don't be disappointed because there's 40 whole minutes of us talking yeah, about Yeah, yeah, get your fill. Um, on that little bonus thing, which, we'll, as I say, we'll, we'll throw up as a sort of extra. It's not a numbered episode exactly because we thought that we'd just have a really bloated middle section. And once again, one. free of charge. Whoa, whoa. You can't argue with that value, man. No. So um, coming up on today's show, as it is, we will be going through our, well, the results of our homework set, what, about 13 years ago when we yeah. had uh, recorded episode nine? Yeah, that might be a little bit awkward. Yeah, we'll that go, was, we'll that was our, uh, edit, our uh, producer and editor set us a homework to watch a couple of Steven Spielberg films, so we'll get to that. Before that, we will go through Six of the Best, which was promised in episode nine, throughout in episode nine, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. episode nine, yeah. Um, which is... For episode eight, in fact. Could be the case. Yeah, I yeah. think we missed one out and we kind of changed it. it was very we did positive. a Halloween special. Yeah. Oh, of course yeah. we did. Right. So this so. is going back probably a good month. But for all of yeah. those who, you know, you were on the edge of your seats thinking, where is the <laughs> six of the best hidden gems streaming coming. and stuff? It's coming. It's coming up today. In the middle section of the show, we're just going to have a fairly freeform chat on the IMAX phenomenon and the fact that IMAX has now... Um, cropped up in our very in own, Cheltenham, yes. very own Essentially, town, yeah. what we promise not to say is that we've got an IMAX and you haven't. Yeah. But we may say that. Yeah, those of so. you living in the smaller hamlets of the country may be quite envious during that section, but mm. we'll go through the sort of the ups and downs and the, the experience in general of, of going to something on IMAX. And then, um, and I suppose first of all in today's show, we are going to get to the films, what we have seen recently... In our first section, films that we've seen. Films what we have seen. Recently, yes. And there is a lot. And the, the, the thing that we realise with doing this show is the more that you have delays between episodes, the more that you have this problem of trying to decide which are the films that you will cover and which are the ones that you won't. Because obviously the both of us consume a hell of a lot of films in any given week. So we've really got to cut things out fairly brutally and kill some darlings just to get this thing look down to... Look at look, look at me. Look how many films I watch. I have seen a, a larger number of films than your average person. <laughs> because we're cool yeah cool cool it's because we're so busy with all our mates that we have all this spare time to yeah. sit alone watching films yeah. so and then when we do get together we talk about films that yeah. we have watched and stuff anyway and we've just watched a film about people talking about films which was you know we have briefly yes but anyway let's open with Nightcrawler yeah Night Jake Gyllenhaal Dan Gilroy directed yeah the lovely Jake Gyllenhaal because I've got to confess you know straight off the bat that if you know the, this kind of concept of the man crush gets thrown around quite a lot, <laughs> if I've got one that I pick out the top of my head, Jake Gyllenhaal, you've got you have me at Jake Gyllenhaal. So anything he's involved in, I'm there. Blinky Jake Gyllenhaal. Blinky, Blinky Gyllenhaal has um, sort of held back on the blinks for this one. He's done a different part of his acting, <laughs> which isn't reliant on his facial twitches as much. Um, what yeah? What do we make of this thing, Nightcrawler? So to set up, Paul, the, the basic plot of Nightcrawler, if, if people aren't aware, so you've got essentially like kind of a little bit of a sort of socially awkward kind of loser character who's kind of desperate to find something else to do with his life. Wants to kind of get into journalism, finds that he's kind of getting turned away. Ends up 
kind of it gets quite dark quite quickly where he kind of ends he ends up going to accidents before the police get there and taking photos and selling these really explicit kind of photos to the media yeah I mean this he is walking a fine line and Jake Gyllenhaal I think is an actor capable of it where he is really quite a Ski, skeezy kind of creepy skeezy. weird weirdo new one. skeezy yes skeezy <laughs> I, I'm going to give him that it was in his acting um, Gyllenhaal was skeezy <laughs> he manages to be both that and relatively charming and that's important for this role isn't it because I think if he was just a creep then it would be hard to be invested in he's his he's kind of journey. like a kind of like sort of Christian Bale is Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, that kind of sort of dark character that he's he's bleak and he is certainly a troubled and at times quite scary individual. But as you say, he's kind of like almost like your classic sociopath where he can charm people as well. And I think Julian Hall does a fantastic job of that. And I think he's certainly one of the film's high points. Yeah, and I think um, it's interesting that you draw a parallel with Patrick Bateman because I think Patrick Bateman obviously based on a character who represented the excesses of the 1980s. And here we've got Jake Gyllenhaal, who, who, who seems at least to embody a more contemporary, if not possibly a bit more a timeless um, characterization of this man who, in the modern world, is able to or willing to remould himself to fit whatever it is that the market requires. Mm. This is his whole pursuit at the beginning. What do you want me to be? I will be that. And the climate in which we live at the moment, it's quite an interesting and I think sort of darkly satirical point to, to come at a character who is yeah, it's so, so bleak and, and self-interested. And also a lot, of, a lot of people find themselves in situations where we're just going to start talking politics briefly here, but like, what do you need me to be? And a lot of people can only find work that is there. They don't get to choose what they do anymore. So mm. they, they don't really have an option but to take what's given to them. So that's quite an interesting interesting parallel the film makes. Yeah, and then, and then meshed in with that is this whole idea of sort of vicarious existence and more and more of our lives are well I say our lives I mean the lives of many people around the world are led in this way where you're watching internet feeds of um, real-time events you're watching videos on YouTube that show real crimes or um, you're yeah involved with the kind of consumption of tragedy well if you watch the news for example like take the floods last year in England like perhaps a bit mean to say this but almost more interested in filming on their phones and getting their footage on TV than they were in actually helping out people in in need so it's a very relevant film yeah and and a lot of that filming the act of filming is also a way of self-aggrandizing because Mm. if I can throw out a video before you that account gives account of a particular event and the Honestly, oftentimes, as you say, with floods and with disaster, the more dramatic, the better, then I automatically gain followers and hits and mm. likes and shares and all these things that have now got, got clout in the, in the world in which we live. So I think that there is a lot of pointed relevance about this film. I think, and we may be in agreement about this, but I think perhaps during the second half of the film, it pulls its, or um, retracts its teeth a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've some of those issues. I've read a lot of strong reviews of highly praising the film, and I have to say, although it's an interesting topic, I found the film quite disappointing. In all mm. honesty, I mean, it looks it looks great. Oh, it looks terrific. Yeah, and to start with, it's very dark. It's kind of it's literally like baring its teeth out. You know, like okay, this is this is going to be bleak and unapologetically so. And for me, and I, I think you because we saw we actually saw a film together, which was unusual. But uh, and I think you kind of. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I think you agreed with me it lost its teeth in the second half and I just felt that it kind of 
it just kind of petered out into into nothing really and like the end was supposed to be this big sort of poignant ending and you were just like is is that it like is that is that all we're getting from this yeah and and i think it, it, there was a riz ahmed's in this thing is mm. uh, jake gyllenhaal's sidekick who's sort of um wet behind the ears has no idea about how to do next to any, you know pretty much anything in terms of employment mm. and is taken under the wing by by gyllenhaal and driven around as the kind of lackey who has to do all the the donkey work and doesn't yeah. really get paid fairly and things like that and i think that riz ahmed character again maybe two halves of the film here but when we meet him and as that relationship develops it's very interesting it sort of draws you in and, and it gives it sort of a the, the audience perspective on having to spend time with this guy who cares nothing for anything that isn't mm. um, you know his own profits and his own reputation being increased and, and so on and then the, the way that they conclude the Riz Ahmed strand just feels a bit forced and a I bit, thought so yeah we, uh, won't, we won't give it away but it just feels just like oh edgy bit Having um, said having said all of this though, I think that you know there there is a dearth of um, of slight slightly risky, dark, entertaining thrillers uh, and alike in the cinema. So by all means, you know this is one to form your own opinion. Check it out. It's a it's a decent film. Yeah, it's a good it's, film. It's, it is a good it's film. a good film, but it's not the five star film that it seems to be. It's not worthy of the five star reviews that it seems to be picking up. Yeah, I, I think don't that's think. fair. So, um, moving on from that, Paul, what else have you been watching of late? Well, I think moving on from not a bad film to a very bad film. Oh, what have we got? Assault on Wall Street. Yes. Well, you said, you know, not often watching films together. This is actually another, another film, film that we together. recently watched together. By, by the now legendary auteur, Uwe Boll, who I'm going to be careful of here, what we say. I'm not going to personally attack Uwe Boll because... There was, of course, that moment when he challenged a critic to a boxing match and won right. quite convincingly. So, Uwe Ball, you're a lovely man, but Assault on Wall Street was terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Perhaps expectedly so. Taking but on this, this you know, Uwe Ball boxing challenge, I think that I wouldn't be too worried about boxing Uwe Ball based on this film because what he would do is sort of talk about how he was going to hit you in the face for about an hour until you were so bored <laughs> with the whole idea of being hit in the face that it didn't really matter what happened next anyway. When you call a film Assault on Wall Street, you expect it to be just that. So you expect Dominic Purcell, who again is terrible, standard... <laughs> Um, <laughs> what he's got about three different facial expressions yeah. that all show mild concern or confusion. So, so you that's, expect that's him, and shots. like you see him in the poster, he's got an assault rifle on you. Okay, Dominic Purcell, he's going to be upset by the the financial system. Who isn't? And then he's going to go mad and sort of shoot up in the entirety of Wall Street. That happens, but about ten minutes from the end, the rest of it. And how many bad? Right, hold on, hold on. How many bad things happen? To this guy in the film. Yeah, in, in case in case you're holding off watching Assault on <laughs> Precinct Wall Street. <laughs> Assault on Wall Street. You know, I don't, don't want to spoil anything, but Taxi I think driver it, on Precinct included 13. in the sort of litany of terrible things that happened to this this pretty awful actor. In no particular order. Uh, well, he, his wife has got a terrible medical condition that requires her to have expensive treatment. Of course, we're in America, so the, the medical treatment is incredibly expensive, prohibitively so. 
Um, he's trying to make payments, although he has an investment, which is where he holds all of his money. All of his money is put in an investment fund, which is then gambled away by the irresponsible bankers. By the bankers. They just, um, you know, it all turns to dust because of the bankers. But occasionally he does meet up with the one uh, Edward Furlong, who has gone, like, let himself Edward go Furlong, in looking just good. the worst way. Looking like, that good. guy hasn't slept since he was in American History X, I don't reckon, <laughs> because he's, yeah, he's, he's fallen to pieces. And also Charles, Keith David's in there, Charles from The Thing. Yes. Michael Parr or Michael Parre from Walter Hill Streets of Fire rolling out the big guns for this. What are they doing though, man? Like Money. those, yeah, those those guys solely exist within this film to gather at an unnamed local diner and just say things like, "Ah, oh, the the bankers are terrible. damn those bankers, yeah, man. The, yeah, man, what's going on with you? You've lost everything. Yeah, and oh, he look, of course, he right. lo- loses his wife, loses his job." Loses his job. His yes, wife kills security. herself. That's right. And and he works at a security firm, yeah. which, if you haven't picked up on this, quite subtle, that could be a metaphor. Because here we've got the the wasteful, reckless bankers, and we've got the secure man working in security, played by Donny Purcell. So, yeah, in addition to losing all his money, losing his job... His wife kills herself. Uh, wife commits he suicide. His house, his house yeah. gets repossessed or loses his house. Of course. Yeah, all, all par for the course uh, for this guy. Yeah, oh, he, he owes, for some reason on his investment, he owes someone $60,000 and Eric Roberts turns up. But all of this stuff is told, is delivered in the most sort of <laughs> leaden, clunky, step by step, where in your mind, from the title of the film, you've already understood these things. You know, you're aware that, as you said, you know, this is going to be a guy You know he's going to snap. Yeah. You know he's going to snap and you know he's going to attack Wall Street. It's, and that's why you put it on is to go okay Dominic Purcell's in it it's not going to be good if Dominic Purcell's in it let's be perfectly honest does he try I'm not sure he even tries he just sort of takes the paychecks and, and sort of stands around looking a bit gormless in all honesty yeah. but even then you think okay Dominic Purcell running around with a gun shooting people and we'll see that's quite cool and then at the end the film is just morally reprehensible well and it's just it's just Bizarre. Basically, we're going to spoil that, it because we that, don't. We, we are going to suggest that you don't watch it. Uwe Boll's already spoiled it, man. I mean, it but, doesn't so, really matter. So, at one point at the end, the guy Dominic Purcell goes up into these offices. Well, across the building block, just starts shooting like, everyone with a tie on. I think literally everyone <laughs> that, that is with the a market. tie on. Yeah. yeah, if you're wearing a tie, you're yeah. bang out of luck. Yeah, because Purcell is on the Then he goes into the office building of this company that's been unjust to him, and it's looking like one guy go because he has a wife commits mass murder of everyone that works in the company at this point the boss of the company hasn't been evacuated he's just sat in his office apparently waiting for Dominic Purcell to turn up and then he kills everyone else and then his policeman friends just let him go and then you're given some indication like ah oh, Dominic Purcell I'm a warrior for the people yeah, no, it's fine. you've actually just committed wholesale I'll kill and I'll kill again <laughs> yeah. I'll keep killing wholesale inexcusable mass murder so if you're walking around bizarre, today and you're, and you're wearing a tie, take yeah. it off because Purcell has got your, you know, a bullet with your name on it because he's still out there. Yeah. He's, he's at large. And yeah, I mean, speaking seriously for a moment, and not that it really requ- requires this, but it is a pretty irresponsible film, as is as are, I think, a number of Uwe Boll's films, where you essentially have this character who is built as if he is purely and one-dimensionally a sympathetic character because he's so front-loaded with all this stuff that he's had to go through, oh, poor him, boo-hoo, you know, terrible events, so that when he starts putting bullets in people at the end, you're supposed to feel like, yeah, come on, you know, get them, get the guys in ties. And it's a it's a really sort of childish and, and quite irresponsible method of storytelling, not to mention the fact that the three-act structure is just like thrown out the window and turns <laughs> into a sort of, sort of a weird two-act act structure where the first act is uh, over an hour. So, 
yeah, one to kind of shout at. Um, I think more than yeah, maybe and one one to kind of if if you're a glutton for punishment as as we sometimes are, then by all means stick it on and kind of poke fun at it. But it's terrible. Um, something that going from very bad mm. to very good. Okay. Gaspar Noe's Enter the Void. I finally watched it. Right. Yeah, this is one that I've been uh, I've been sort of badgering Paul about for a, a while because it made such a big impact on me when I when I first saw it. Uh, actually, at a uh, a premiere screening in Asia. So you Not know, Korea. Well, Korea is technically in Asia. Okay. So, yeah. Wow, in Korea. <laughs> That's right. It was indeed in Korea. But yeah, um, what do you make of it? I mean, you obviously have enjoyed it to a certain degree, as much as you can enjoy Gaspar stuff. Experiencing it is the right word. Um, it's quite a difficult film to describe, as you can imagine from Gaspar Noé. Which it's kind of a meditation on sort of death and reincarnation would you say that's a fair yeah it's based around this kind of wishy-washy idea of the tibetan book of the dead and the fact that when you die your soul sort of floats above the earth looking down on the people who mm. survived you and um, what they're doing in their lives and maybe you can have some impact on that you may or may not be aware of that it doesn't really matter they kind of explain it if not um it's kind of loosely explained, it's, kind of visually. but it's just it's absolutely stunning as a mm. film absolutely stunning some of the um some of the visuals are just well it's it's trippy is an understatement as you say watch it with you suggested to watch it with the lights down which i did so watch it with the lights off which on the biggest screen you can possibly and, find and crank up the sound it's, and there are it's, a, it's like it is like being in a dream it's very very yeah, bizarre and, and there are here some just virtuoso individual shots even if you have a, an interest in, in filmmaking in general I think some of the shots where they blended together sort of um, computer gen generated imagery and real aerial shots of, of Tokyo where the film's set are, are mind-boggling and will lead you to want to go to YouTube or your streaming site others are available and um, look for video of how on earth these things were achieved because mm. it really is a, an amazing achievement on Gaspar Noe's part. And I think there are a lot of people who will have very um, there's a diverse opinion. Uh, let's be let's be fair. Well, on, there's on this gonna, filmmaker, you, you're, you're art house haters, and uh, there's one out there. You know, I'm talking to you. Are going to hate on it because it is it's a very art house film. It's not. But there is a kind of narrative structure to it, but it's not for everyone by any stretch. Yeah, um, and, and some uh, of the sort of some of the like there there are be warned there are literally just shots of intense flashing lights that will actually almost make your eyes bleed. And but, sometimes Gaspar Noé willfully will just hit you in the face with something over and over again and and cackle maniacally because he just enjoys the experience of, of punishing the audience. And it's not to say that that necessarily is always a, a virtue. I don't think. I mean, there was a thing that he made, which is almost a, a self-parody for um, a, a collection of short films. This is going back, I don't know, seven, seven or eight years, uh, which simply uh, it draws a parallel between romantic or sexual relationships, prostitution, and internet pornography in the most sort of leaden stupid kind of on the nose way and then he finishes his short piece with block capital his favourite sort of neon lettering that he uses in this thing as well mm. blasting on the screen like you get at the start of this film uh, simply uh, in bold it says we fuck alone is that and restricted? It, yeah that's yeah. right that's right yeah. and, and that to me was a point where I really I rolled my eyes and I thought I, how much I'm going to invest in this filmmaker mm. I don't know since then I think that he's got so much in the plus column as a sort of maker possibly of, grown up a little bit of, yeah maker of sort of cinematic experiences as we, as we were discussing that 
yeah, you know, whatever you think about Enter the Void when you've finished um, your two you and a half You won't forget hours, it. You won't forget no. it, yeah. And, and I think those films are, are interesting and important, you know. And talking about recommendations, um, Enter the Void obviously coming from my direction to yours yep. and pretty much seal of approval, thumbs up or whatever it might be. The Guest, I caught up with The Guest what, a couple of days ago, I guess it was. Um, one that you reviewed, at I, least briefly. I really show. enjoyed The Guest. Yeah, this it was covered, I don't even know what episode it would be now, but probably five, five or six Dan episodes Wingard ago. Wingard directed. That's right. Dan Stevens from um, that show I'll never watch on ITV, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey, that Dan <laughs> Stevens, yeah. My girlfriend had to point out that he was from Downton Abbey because <laughs> I have not seen a great deal of that programme. Although I think that maybe uh, Downton Abbey might be created for real in England in the next few years. <laughs> but um, yeah, Adam Wingard is a new favourite of mine because I've seen bits and pieces that he's done before. But this is one of those films that is just so like revelling in wonderful enjoyment of like genre cinema and things cranked up to a level. It knows exactly what it is. Yeah. And doesn't, it has no pretense that it's meant to be entertaining and it's meant to be over the top. Yeah. And I don't know why this has come to mind and I'll get my teeth into the film in just a second, but I don't know if you share this opinion, but this brought back to mind for some reason that I, I'm going to stand by the fact that I think uh, Jennifer's Body is actually quite a good film. I'm just going to throw that out there. Anyway, move, moving on, because I think it's another film that does kind of that thing. Mm. Um, yeah, this is... The, the Dan Stevens character is like this muscular, able, charming. So it's the southern, he's got this southern drawl. He shows up unexpectedly. Literally dripping with charm. Oh, the guy is, he's just, I mean, he might have just bested Jake Gyllenhaal on my, on my celebrity male hit list at this point. Um, but yeah, a great performance. The guy's from Croydon, I believe, but you would not think for a second that this was the case in the opening when he just sashays into this family charms the pants off everybody and the way he can just switch on that dark dark terrifying edge is and the way, fantastic and the just way, the occasional look that he shoots the characters you, you are he's a very scary guy yeah and, and the director's so aware of his ability to do this and so um, able at framing those shots you, you've got like the, the character just staring out of the window <laughs> into the middle <laughs> yeah. distance and you know this guy which is which is as funny as it is scary in all honesty yeah and it, and it plays to those yeah. comedy beats as yeah. well it's not uh, one of those films that is you know I hate to generalise but I think has become quite quite popular and maybe is having a bit of a dip now where they're genre films yes okay they have all these genre tropes yes but there's no soul it's just like darkness and physical punishment and violence and bloodletting in this thing yeah those, some of those things are there and they you know great fun whilst they last but there's a sense of humour and there's a kind of wink the constant winks to the mm. audience and people who know this sort of film um, and this genre just you have so much fun with mm. this I can't really describe it in a more um, highfalutin way because it is just fun I mean it, it sounds a little bit pretentious to say perhaps it was made with kind of film geeks for want of a better term in mind but but, but everyone can enjoy it though everyone that's can the, enjoy beauty, it everyone can enjoy it but certainly if you're into films oh, you'll get and know your genre you will there'll be so many nods and I you know I think we've both only seen it at once yeah and I imagine it's one of those films that the more you watch it the more nods you'll pick up so uh yeah, and it's one just go back to it. You could rewatch it. I could rewatch this tonight and, and not feel like I'd seen it, you know, too too uh, close to, to mm. now. And um, yeah, just just a, a 
wholehearted recommendation yeah. because well, yeah, I was you, I was buzzing when I when I'd finished with this. So yeah, d definitely uh, seek it out. Fantastic. So now we come to our feature presentation. Oh, our feature presentation. Feature presentation. A, a giant size, slightly more square, booming sound feature presentation. I'm going to go real bassy with my voice on this one so that it's kind of meta because, of course, we're talking about the IMAX, the IMAX experience, the ultimate in cinema experiencing. Um, yeah, the reason that we brought this up, we thought it'd be interesting to talk about this week uh, or on this episode, I should say, is because, uh, as we mentioned at the start of the show, our own little, little town, Cheltenham, has just been graced with the presence of an IMAX screen. One of the screens at the local World of Cine has been sort of converted. There's been some work done there. And it is now, to all intents and purposes, an IMAX screen. Yes. Um, and we've both had the chance to go along and experience for ourselves what it is like, the difference that there is. I mean, ticket regular ticket prices for evening shows on IMAX are... The Astronomical. Price, yeah, the price of like a small house. So there's got to be a good reason to sort of go or not go. Yeah, what did you, Paul, make of it the first time that we went to it? Specifically to this IMAX screen, it's a little bit small. Yeah. Now, I'm sure it, I'm sure it is an IMAX screen, and Cineworld will say, and are entitled to say, but it's an IMAX screen, because it is. Yeah. But I went with someone who hadn't been to IMAX before, and I said, you're going to be blown away by IMAX. Literally, you will just it will just take your breath away. I remember the first time... First time I went to IMAX was The Dark Knight back in 2008, and as the camera swoops in over the over Gotham, and this is the IMAX in the BFI now BFI IMAX, which is now Odeon, I think, mm. I still run by the BFI and Waterloo. But I digress. So as the camera swoops in over Gotham, you could hear people physically taking breath. Yeah. And when you walk into the IMAX in London, you literally look up and go, "Shit!" Like that's a big screen now. You kind of get that. How much breathtaking was there? How much breathtaking? And not, a, you know, I mean, Interstellar was quite a breathtaking film, but there wasn't. It didn't quite have the same impact. And I said, basically, this guy I'd been with had never been to an IMAX before, and he went, actually, from the way you've kind of talked about IMAX, I was a little bit disappointed. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, it's not. And also because because of the the smaller screen where it jumps. Basically, if something's filmed in IMAX, the IMAX scenes will fill the whole screen. The scenes not shot on IMAX cameras will be letterboxed. Now, it's not, that's actually not as irritating as you think it might be. And actually, for me, I don't really find it irritating at all. You, don't, adds, no, you no. don't notice it like you would notice letterboxing on a, on a, like no, a DVD or something. No, but I think like on that. a bigger IMAX screen, you notice it more, and that, as a result, adds more impact to the, the IMAX screen. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, scenes, agree on that point because I think that there's sort of two sides to this in terms of that expansion that you get to the full IMAX ratio. Because Christopher Nolan, for example, with Interstellar, which, uh, as we mentioned, we talked about on a separate recording, but um, he sort of weaves those shots fairly seamlessly into the film, so much so that you can go through probably a half, two-thirds of that film even, and miss the fact that the screen ratio mm. has been enlarged, which is sort of, to his credit... Um, but yeah, I, I do tend to agree with you that I think when I've seen things shown on IMAX before, it was this more pronounced kind of slightly awe-inspiring, right. like, yeah, pulling up and pulling down simultaneously of, of the canvas and exposing you to just a sort of different perspective mm. on the action that was taking place. So I think, yeah, we've kind of got like a pocket IMAX. It's like... It's still an IMAX. 
Max, don't get me wrong, and you can tell the difference. And it's something like twice. Town. Like, we can't be the only well, town Well, apparently, Cineworld are planning on opening another 30 across the country. So, I think that. The Pocket IMAX is going to become yeah. increasingly popular. Which, I, I, which I don't think. It's, it's not a bad thing that IMAX is going to become popular because. For me, it's a much more interesting format than I mean, 3D. Let's, yeah, because let's be honest. Bottom line is here, we, it's, a, it's an experience. It's a good experience. I think there's a lot of positive that we can mention about it. The bottom line is money-making, isn't it? I mean, that's why we've got an IMAX now, is because you can bump yeah. your tickets by four or five quid um, and pull in And what I find people. a little bit frustrating is there's a um, there's a Hobbit uh, event, an all-nighter, shall we say. That, yeah, who'd um, go to that? That's going to be, what, like eight-plus hours? Eight hours. Um, Martin in, Freeman. Jesus. In an IMAX cinema, um, I'm going. <laughs> I'm quite excited. I think I kind of want to go. Do you know what I did that? Like, you I did know, what we mentioned how fucking cool we were at the beginning. I think testament to that is one of, yeah. one of our number going to over eight hours. Of and it. I hasten to add, I'm going alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are going to be other dudes there alone. What so as of it, basically. But my frustration with that is. We pay. We still have to pay an uplift on the unlimited cards. A little bit cheeky, but okay for now, I suppose. It's a five pound uplift. But as far as I'm aware, and please correct me if I'm wrong, anyone out there that's listening, The Hobbit was not in any part shot on IMAX cameras. So therefore, none of it will actually be screened, filling the IMAX screen. But Cineworld is still charging the IMAX uplift. Yeah. Okay, the sound is better, and the sound will be amazing. But to charge the IMAX uplift for a mm-hmm. film that's not actually in IMAX. Yeah. It seems a little bit rude. But we're used to these kind of tricks. I mean, it's the same thing we got with uplift in price for 3D films and vast swathes of these quote-unquote 3D films were just retrofitted into 3D or yeah. nominally kind of retrofitted into 3D where you feel like, what what am I paying for here? I've just paid for the screen to be darker and occasionally when they go past a chain-link fence or something, it looks a bit weird. Like, it didn't seem really and worth I the, had, the full I price. had a fairly poor experience of IMAX 3D, in all honesty. I went to see uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, again at the, the BFI IMAX, or the BFI Max. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, um, just, just keep just keep name dropping the BFI. Yeah. I, I should so, I should interject with the fact that I actually saw my first IMAX film in on, a, on a ginormous screen in Korea. I think it's actually one of the world's biggest okay. IMAX screens. So you know, just gonna gonna, gonna try and one up okay. on this thing. Fair but, yeah. enough. Fair enough. I'll Sorry, go, going Sorry. back to Star Trek. So Star Trek Into Darkness. So you're on your little IMAX screen in what was that London or something? Just just yeah, just, just a place in England. Yeah, local just place. a place in England. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, Star Trek Into Darkness, 3D IMAX. Meh. It, all the all the sort of added richness of, of picture quality and definition that IMAX offers, and it is fantastic, is just completely sapped by a shoddy 3D conversion. And even in IMAX, it was still bloody blurry. Yeah. And it, it, to be fair, it, it kind of, it dulled my experience of that film somewhat because I just I was just very very disappointed by the presentation of it. And again, I think the trouble is with when you when you have something that is problematic, which is 3D. And you make it bigger, yeah. the problem doesn't go away. The problem gets bigger. Yeah, and I mean, this, but this is what we're going to see. I mean, if you can put after the name of the, the title of the film, IMAX 3D, there's a lot of razzle dazzle to the old IMAX 3D. And there's an extra £5 on ticket prices. You've really got to think a little bit what does that mean? And I think the consumer, as treacherous of a thing of that is for me to say, that is sort of the reality of a place like Cineworld. Mm. The, the consumer has to make a, a 
semi-informed decision about which films are worth paying that uplift for because real 3D cameras, uh, 3D cameras, excuse me, IMAX cameras are used because maybe it's not dulled by... I would say, to, any, to anyone not sure whether they should go or not, A, it's very loud, and if you don't like it, don't go. In fact, said exactly the same thing on the Interstellar podcast. You did hear a lot of, oh, it's so loud. Oh, too loud. Too loud at the end. Yeah, too loud. Uh, yeah, I mean, you knew surely somewhat yeah. what this was. Everything's bigger, it's going to be louder. Um, I think to, to those people unsure, I would say it's only really worth it if a film has been shot using IMAX cameras. Yeah, and I mean, just pulling out one thing that, that you just mentioned, for me, and this makes a big difference, the IMAX sound setup, even here in our, our little IMAX, is just head and shoulders above the sound sound that you're getting out of one of the other screens. Yeah. And I don't think everybody feels necessarily the same way, but for me, particularly those those kind of action-filled blockbuster feature presentations, like crisp sound and careful balanced sound makes all the difference mm. to the experience I think and so yeah definitely a big plus point for mm. that for that paying that little more for IMAX is a vastly superior sound and quality. it is you know and the, the the picture quality is improved because it's essentially bigger cameras um, there's a more scientific explanation for it than that I'm sure but I think it, the fact that even if they are kind of IMAX in a cupboard, uh, they are still IMAX screens. And the more of the more of them we have, the more easily accessible these things are, the better, I think. And, and it's not, you know, to trivialise things, but leather seats, as a touch. Um, we also have, uh, they put the heater on, which is, you know, rare for the cinema experience. The amount of times I have to put, like, blank, <laughs> like, my own jacket over myself, because it is sub-zero in the screen, which... The, but the there's room, no pleasing everyone though with a temp, with a with room temperature. The winter time, the room is filled filled with like a hundred people, and they put on aircon or something to make it. It's ridiculous. You pay that money, but yeah. Anyway, um, I think that that there are you should experience it for yourself. Um, you should check out IMAX, but just pick carefully what mm. it is that you that you sort of lose your IMAX virginity to. And I think if anyone's going to take your hand and lead you into the into the proverbial cinema bedroom, it could be you could do a lot worse than Christopher Nolan, who is currently, you know, uh, selling his wares at an IMAX cinema near you. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I would entirely agree with that sentiment. <laughs> right, welcoming back, maybe my favourite feature of the entire show. Six of the best. Six of the best. Six of the best has been absent for a little while because we kind of set up a six of the best. Oh, well, of course, no, it's not entirely true. We, we did a sort of special inserted six of the best, which was for Halloween, Halloween yes. films, horror stuff. So, in fact, six of the best hasn't been absent at all. We've been absent for a bit, but the actual feature, I guess, was kind of on the last one or whatever. So, um, yeah, bringing back six of the best. This is the one that we set up on episode eight, two episodes ago, which was to find some kind of hidden away gems that exist on streaming services. In this case, they just so happen to be on Netflix. They do, yeah. Actually, I've, I've sort of migrated from the Amazon streaming service to Netflix or back to Netflix recently. There are others available. We've tried a few different ones. I think it's fair to say that Netflix offers a pretty decent service even in the UK at this point because when they launched it was, it was quite badly lacking mm. I think and they were very slow on the uptake in sort of serving the new market as I guess might happen in other places um, I, I was in Canada when they launched in Canada and they had a similar kind of slow um, rollout of the service but anyway that is all to say that 
All six of the things that we talk about now are currently available UK Netflix. They may be available elsewhere as well and certainly available to buy or download or get through iTunes or whatever. So we've really given people listening here the opportunity to get onto those things directly rather than having to go around the houses to, mm. to find them. I'm, I want to add as well that we're not here talking about films that maybe are the most well-known or the most... Uh, praised elsewhere or talked about elsewhere but just more things that personally we think are worth attention and maybe mm. get tucked away that in may have may have sort of slipped under the radar with exactly some of the bigger releases that's right yeah and and with all the thousands of films available through streaming services now it's i think sometimes a good idea to have some kind of guidance in something that might it's be not always, easy, not always easy to keep up with uh, everything everything that's there so. that's right yeah um i know i appreciate people's recommendations anyway so here we go First one for me then um, on this six the best rundown is a little documentary, um, little documentary, sounds patronising, but a documentary called Camp Fourteen. Um, Camp Fourteen was directed by a man called Mark Weiss, um, and he's got a follow up coming out. I think sometime the end of this year, maybe the beginning of next year. It might be now. Camp Fourteen is an incredibly powerful look behind the curtain into the situation in modern day North Korea and sort of the North Korea of recent history and I think a world that... So it's a happy-go-lucky affair then? It's it's a chastening, um, chilly experience punctuated by moments of, I think, real humanity because in this documentary not only do you get sketches and and at points literal sketches, the the filmmaker uses... um, uses like drawings and, and uh, yeah, like I should say, sketches of what situations might look like that you can't possibly photograph. You can't film people getting summarily executed in North Korea for um, going against the, the leadership, for not completing their duties, for not reporting members of their family who might be going against the leadership. But through the use of music, through the use of sketches, through the use of um, eyewitness accounts, you're given a, a fairly incredible insight into a situation that so few people know really anything mm. about and I, I'm predisposed to be interested in this topic as you know we mentioned here and there having lived in, in the south in, in South Korea however I think for anybody there is a real value in educating yourself a little bit into what I believe to be one of the very worst humanitarian crises that exists in the world and has existed for a long time now on the very same planet in which we have the freedom Mm. to kind of sit here and and talk about all kinds of films and do whatever we want Um, it's not to bring this thing down or make you know hopefully this is not a preachy recommendation and it's not it doesn't feel like homework it's a really well structured well put together engaging film but it will well documentaries ultimately have to entertain as well otherwise they don't work so to an yeah, extent, I don't to an extent, they, they need some kind of. They, yeah, need to be, they need to be watchable. I, I'm reluctant to use the watchable. word entertain yeah. though here, but but like I say, my endorsement, I guess, is that it's not it's not just sort of a preachy uh, kind of didactic filmmaking about you know how we should feel terrible or manipulate mm. manipulating the viewer into feeling bad. All you need are it's stark, not made by Bob Geldof. <laughs> no, you need stark facts, and you get some of those stark facts, and any human being processing those things is going to think long and hard about the world in which we live mm. uh, at this time okay. so my first recommendation that's Camp 14 okay 
Um, staying on the documentary uh, genre for the time being, my first recommendation would be uh, a f- documentary called Blackfish. Now, this quite a difficult name to say um, about um, essentially SeaWorld and the treatment of their killer whale Tilikum. It's a real eye-opener, in all honesty. The, what you think about SeaWorld, for me, as a kid, it's kind of... I've never been, but it seemed like this magical place, and sort of swimming with killer whales would be like the dream job, and that must be amazing, and what an experience they must have. It's quite a disturbing disturbing eye-opener, in all honesty, in terms of just how badly the whale's treated, how dangerous a job it actually is, how these really, really quite intelligent animals are taken against their will from their home... Uh, and put into captivity and just they're just bored essentially uh, and it's it's quite a harrowing similar to what you've just said it's quite a harrowing experience and whether entertain again it possibly isn't the right word I mean there was there was bits in the film that genuinely moved me to tears with how these intelligent and frankly magnificent creatures were being treated and what I find more frustrating and perhaps why it's on this list of kind of hidden gems is it didn't get an Oscar nomination which I think is is hugely hugely shameful because I think it was I think it was massively overlooked for an Oscar nod but um yeah harrowing stuff but certainly worth a watch and will certainly change your mind on what you think of SeaWorld yeah indeed yeah I've, I've pretty much endorsed that point of view um, second for me then on my my rundown or I guess third on this list as a whole, uh, like bringing things up a little bit, lighten yes, things lighten a little the tone bit, a little bit maybe, yeah. maybe, for me in tears. Maybe maybe start to tap your toe, break into a, a little dance, a little jig. It is uh, 2012's Wit Stillman uh, comedy satirical kind of society comedy damsels in distress. Um, if you're familiar with Wit Stillman, then you will know that he is a man who likes to include dancing in his films, and also the lives of those who live in kind of high society. Now, both of those things could easily and justifiably put you off from checking out Damsels in Distress. Don't let that be the case. Um, Fronting the cast here is Greta Gerwig, who I like a great deal, and I'm sure many people have become aware of through lots of her indie and sort Mm. of bigger indie um, releases. Frances Ha recently did fairly decent business Mm. in, in indie cinemas and things like that. Yeah, she is charming. You enjoy spending time with her. She's part of a small gaggle of students on campus who set about trying to um, revolutionise the lives of others through the medium of dance, but also, for example, um, pledge their support to the suicide prevention group, which is on campus. And Whit Stillman has this ability as a, as a writer, I think, to deal with things that are very difficult and challenging and actually quite serious and do it with a sort of, um, with a... With a, a spring in his step. A spring in his step. Yeah, <laughs> a spring in his step and, and, a, and a, sharp, a sharp style and a, a real wit, Stillman, if you, yeah. if you will. But yeah, check this thing out because it is um, just laugh out loud funny at moments and also very intelligent in the way that you might get pleasure from, from Woody Allen or mm. something like okay. that. That kind of intelligent, incisive humour, well-written, great cast, yeah. great ensemble... And I think most people have missed it. I think a lot of people missed this thing when it came out. I had very limited uh, indie releases. Well, I've missed it. I haven't seen it myself. Um, Which brings me to flipping flipping the genre to its head now. Something that probably isn't quite as light-hearted. A horror called House of the Devil by probably one of my favourite horror directors, Ty West. Uh, You may remember me waxing lyrical about Ty West a few episodes ago when I talked about his recent release, The Sacrament. Well... 
House of the Devil goes back a it goes back a few years. Um, it is an absolute exercise in how to build suspense in a horror film. It opens with this family in a house, the, the titular house of the devil, as you were, and just and I'm not going to give anything. I'm going to try not to give anything away at all. Just the level of suspense that this film manages to build is is second to none, mm. and it builds and builds and builds. And Ty West is the master, in my opinion, of creating just an impending sense of dread. It's there in the sacrament. It's not there in Cabin Fever 2. That was, we'll ignore Cabin Fever 2. But yeah, House of the Devil, highly recommended. Excellent, excellent genre piece. Yeah, and having endorsed Adam Wingard earlier on, I think we can throw Ty West into that group. Well, because Ty West happens to be in Your Next, also directed by Adam Wingard. Right, and I know they've collaborated together on one, mm. one or two other projects, and I think they're both sort of in their mid-30s, really young, up-and-coming filmmakers who are doing great things in their respective mm. genres and, and sort of across the board so yeah I, 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 uh, I concur third for me then um, fifth on the list is I, I was torn between a few things here and I think it's difficult to make any list like this without having to you know well yeah this is, this is why we went for stuff. six of the rather than <laughs> all of six. the best yeah all of the best yeah <laughs> all of the best streaming films 137 films streaming now worth your time <laughs> yeah we're not going to do that we won't subject no. you to that particular beating so I've gone with something fairly new and I don't know if this even got a cinema release over here I don't think so it is a film by a director female director Jill Soloway and I I don't bring that up as something like, oh, a lady making a film. I've read any lady directors, so... But, but <laughs> the, the, the point remains that filmmaking is a male-dominated industry. It, yes. just, it just is. And so... It's a problem the film industry needs to address, but... And, and I think it's, it happened, or is happening to a certain degree, but when you see the work of a promising female director, I fully you know want to get sort of fully behind spreading the word here because I think it's one of these things like female stand-ups where idiots will tell you that women aren't funny there are no funny female stand-ups which is utterly not the case but it always helps your argument to be able to counter with a list of yeah. high quality stand-ups and in this case yeah. filmmakers and so yeah Jill Holloway's film here is um, Afternoon Delight from tw- it says here 2013 uh, I think it's just popped up on Netflix Quite, so probably 2013 quite US release. That's um, right, yeah, it's come here, here on, on 20, recently, in 2014. Yeah. It's got a pretty um, miserable Metacritic score and IMDb score. So actually both Metacritic and IMDb on this one are wrong. It's a big claim, Pete, it's a big claim. It, it's just the truth. Um, this is someone that we've talked about a little bit before, Juno Temple, in yes. I think one of her best roles, although... If you're familiar with the work of Juno Temple, she does tend to play quite a lot of characters who have a propensity for taking their clothes off, and she sticks true to form in this one because <laughs> her role here is uh, as a stripper. But really, I think the reason I highlight this one is partly the female director that I mentioned, Jill Soloway, and partly because the cast is led by Catherine Hahn, and Catherine Hahn is one of those um, female American comedy actresses that you've probably seen in a number of things, but always in the background, always a supporting actor, supporting player. She is fantastic here. Afternoon Delight, to cut a long uh, synopsis short, is about her and her husband, who is played by that guy out of How I Met Your Mother, um, the lead in How Josh I... Radner. That's right, Josh Radner, who we've talked about this, but I utterly despised in that terrible terrible liberal arts film that we can get into another time get into liberal arts we, we differ on that but um, yeah here Josh Radner I think best performance I've ever seen him give which maybe is damning with faint praise yeah. but um, 
Catherine Hahn's character is not happy in her relationship. She's not happy in herself. And she's trying to find some meaning, some purpose. She has a child. She has. She seems to suffer a sort of postpartum depression. Um, she is struggling to bond with her child. She's really in a in a tough spot. But don't worry, because she's got a counsellor, and her counsellor is played by again. You have me at Jake Gyllenhaal in the case of Nightcrawler. You you have me at Jane Lynch. When Jane Lynch is involved <laughs> in a project, I'm in. Give Jane Lynch. So a- is Jane Lynch the reason people should watch it? No, no, she's just one of many reasons. I think at the heart of this thing is a filmmaker who's prepared to deal with emotional struggles and relationship issues in a way that at least rings somewhat true with real life. And I think that barely ever happens, particularly in mainstream Hollywood fare. Um, and there are a couple of scenes here that I thought were absolutely pitch perfect in capturing what it is like to be in a difficult spot personally mm. and I don't want to really explain too much more than that because you know go and check it out for yourself but ignore the IMDb ignore Metacritic they're wrong okay. um, Afternoon Delight which brings us to the last film in this week's Six of the Best which is uh, Thomas Vinterberg's I thought it was quite well pronounced Thomas Vinterberg <laughs> I think you need to give it a little bit more accent to get on the Vinterberg train Thomas Vinterberg yep uh, his film The Hunt uh, with the Ever excellent Mads Mikkelsen, who I think is one of probably one of the finest actors working today. I don't think he may have been in some some questionable film choices, but I don't think he's really given a bad performance. He plays a preschool teacher uh, who essentially is falsely accused by a little girl of sexual abuse. A laugh a minute, as you can probably imagine from that brief synopsis. It, it's a terrifying film because you just all the way through you get the sense that this could actually happen, mm. and did he or didn't he do it isn't really isn't really in question. Uh, as the film goes on, he didn't, but it's the way that the community in which he lives reacts to him. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say I, I believe that when this thing trailed, the trailer pretty much gave away that he didn't do it so I don't actually yeah, think it's, it's not a spoiler no, no it's not, that's not really it's not, no, point, the, the point it? of the film isn't whether he did or didn't do it it's explicitly clear he didn't do it uh, but it's the way he's treated as soon as there's that as soon as aspersions have been casted the way the rest of the rest of the town treats him and the way everyone else treats him is just it's a it's a gripping gripping film uh, fantastically shot, fantastically acted from Mads Mikkelsen, and probably one of uh, one of the finest films I saw last year. I think, and, and so, timely, I think, in the wake of the yeah. the, the closing net of, of uh, Operation Yew Tree and the yeah. things that we've seen in the UK with so many people um, implicated, well, especially with the people that have been falsely accused, right, by right. essentially by tabloid sense by shock journalism. So very, very timely film and very relevant at the moment, but very poignant, very poignant, very dark, but apps, I'd, I'd say essential viewing. Fantastic. So that brings us nicely to the uh, closing closing moments of the show, where we normally talk about the homework. Well, that's what, we we're, that's what we're talking about, I would say, because we've got homework that was set by producer Connor. Can we not talk about the homework? Well, or? I feel like we kind of need to talk about the homework, because this was what, like four, five, six, seven weeks ago, we were set homework by producer Connor. This homework was very simple. It was for each of us to watch one assigned film by Steven Spielberg that we had somehow missed in, in our in our. Spielberg, you know, uh, Canon or what, what have you. Uh, in my case, that was the film Duel, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Paul, in your case, what uh, did the you Sugarland Express. How was that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think that yeah, tells <laughs> tells its own story. Uh, one of us here um, 
has has done their homework with aplomb and has received an A plus in advance of actually giving their thoughts <laughs> on the film. And one of us has flunked and not done their homework and is going to be summarily punished for that. Um, the first of those people is me. The second is Paul. So what we've decided to do by way of uh, uh, punishment here. So a, I'm going to do the homework. Well, yeah. In time for of the course, next. Like any good teacher, I would insist in that time you need for the to next complete episode, that, that where we will then talk. In a bit more depth about Jewel and the Sugarland Express. Yes. Quite interesting because Jewel being his student film, Sugarland Express, I believe, being his first feature. But yeah. I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment. So we will talk about that. Um, so don't worry, producer Connor, it will get done. However, this has earned me a forfeit. Yeah, in your detention that you've got for not handing in this assignment, um, I tried to think of something that, you know, essentially is... Um, maybe, maybe you'll enjoy it, maybe you won't enjoy it, but it's on some form of theme. Now, it's come up a, here and there on the podcast that... And You're going to mention Korea, aren't you? Yeah, I try and hold it down, but actually for three... three relatively happy years of my life I did live in a little country called South Korea did I mention that I've been to the BFI IMAX yeah yeah you've done a lot of stuff you know in your on your own little island I mean it's a bit insular your experience <laughs> of films but that's okay I'm an international film lover you're you know more domestic and that's how okay, it works get to, the, the, get to the forfeit so the, the point is here I tried to come up with something that may be related to career in some way but I don't want to gift Paul with something just wonderful of which there are so many possible choices because Korean cinema is fantastic I'll go into that in great detail in the future I'm sure but um, what I've gone for, in short, is what I would describe as the uh, South Korean American pie. The film in question is called Sex is Zero. And Sex is Zero. Sex okay. is Zero. And I expect this to be watched and then fully uh, broken down and dissected in all its complex detail the next time we meet up to do this show. Fine. I will uh, I will take that, that forfeit on the chin. And not only will I do my homework, but I will also watch uh, Sex is Zero. Yeah, be careful when you're searching for this thing, okay? It's a Korean comedy film called Sex is Zero. The keyword search might take you to some confusing places. But yeah, Sex is Zero, that'll be it. And then we'll, we'll pull that spillover thing together. I, I promise to be careful. <laughs> it's always a good promise to make. Um, okay, that just about brings us to the end of today's show. But just to mention the usual bits and pieces, which are um, get hold of us via Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Strangers Cinema. Just find the page, search it, you know what's up. Twitter, the handle is at Strangers Cinema. Staying with that slightly truncated Strangers Cinema, we've also got the SoundCloud page where we host all of the podcast episodes. So this one and all the others will be there. That is um, soundcloud.com slash Strangers Cinema. And for all your independent-based film reviews, short film reviews, and that kind of thing, head over to www.strangersincinema.com where you'll find a selection of independent short film reviews, uh, kind of unrelated to what we talk about here, but still very much in the world of film. Yeah, those, those, there's crossover. Those things are sort of um, intermingling at certain times. And obviously, our, our love of filmmaking stretches it pretty wide. So, yeah, our articles will go up there and they'll be shared across social media as well. And not to forget, also, if you want to get in contact with us and you've got any feedback on the show, um, you, anything you agree with, disagree with, um, anything that made you angry, if you want to defend Uwe Boll, there's all number of reasons you might get in touch. Also, film submissions, uh, review requests, anything at all to do with the website and the work that we do, the email address there is strangersinacinema at gmail.com. So, yeah, send us anything you like. We'll happily receive it. And uh, that's about all for, for now. So thank you very much for listening. Till the next time, goodbye.